Hello. Yeah, look. I'm still here. I'm sorry if I'm a bit... <coughs> you know, I sound sick because I am actually sick. But anyway. Alright, so what are we talking about? Uh, well, this, what we're talking about is some sort of significant device like you can use to contextually balance any sort of sense of reality that you're having no matter how extreme it might seem, let's say. So your, your philosophical system has to give you some sort of ultimate sense of of what to attain or what to, where to go or what to look for or what where to be with any sort of sense of truth or reality, etc. or to be and, and I'm saying is here in this love and devotion seems uh, is some sort of great equanimity of objectives, such as that it's it's some sort of pure objective here, in the sense that it's it's eyeness is it somehow can't exist with eyeness relevant any relevance to I love can't. And love can't exist with any relevance to an object. So there's nowhere for love to exist, almost, in the field. Like, what? how hard is it to find a place for love? What, what, do you, what are the things you have to have, like, there's things that take away love, and oidus, in some regard, is we've got... So what is this whole idea of I and minus love in the I and love. What is that? Is there a distance between lo pure love and I? For these are the vanities. And then what else of that is we are experiencing is an objective reality uh, where we have problems of knowledge and the things we know, science and philosophy. Okay. Our theological journey, however, is a a meta-ethical drama that's playing out long-term and the various changes that we experience in the objective world have sort of cause and effectual sort of interface with those long-term ethical plans uh, schemas or whatever that are played out over the longer periods of time we mightily change the ethical, slow, more difficult to move than the physical or the like physical than the mental is harder to move than the physical, right? Would see only for the freedom seeker, the physical then becomes the uh, what takes the freedom away from the freedom seeker in creation dramas, okay? And so its potency is equivalent to creation. So 
this is how the Lord, even Brahma, the creator, has this great opponent of time to grapple with, even as God. Okay, so, and even as God, this great force of Maya, okay, which is a just a, a gravitational idea, let's say. So it's, just put it as an idea, as an absolute and infinite that we're only in relative degrees away from, okay, rather than thinking of it as having itself having any relative power. Just think of it as an infinite thing, but it's some distance away from us in a relativity. And so our, our existence does require our some more equanimity of these other objects and suns and moons and etc and also some distance from that uh, and our relativity in relation to some sort of terrestrial black hole then is is not so much that the idea doesn't exist it's just that our experience of it is relative because we're a relative distance away from it okay and also so yes we can think of so therefore we can think of a field okay that's a field of knowledge then that the even the black hole and its actual effect right uh representing some sort of forces of like modal modality and so the darkness then has coming out in a modal way even the physical sort of phenomenal context as we are encountering it like a blackness of of a black Right? And this is then a blackness of a black of the things we found in the, in the world. So as you look at the world, we have to think, like, oh, there are really ideal ideas just beyond the known. Like, and they are real ideas. They're, they're pillars or foundations upon which fields of, fields of existential inference and deduction can go on um, and they represent a formidable obstacle to all endeavours as they uh, as they like whatever endeavour you've got there's some sort of grip that may has got on you right to heaven like right to God and somehow she has this philosophical grip on you and she has this physical grip on you and she's able to delude you in all these ways and she eludes you with vanity she eludes you with rationalism itself she eludes you with your like your the original condition that you're sort of moderately liberated from she she offers the moderation in your liberation she's the that holds you down fucking part of you and you're the trying to be free part of you as you know yourself to be a knower right the known part of you is that is that mate that's mayor as well right so she's in all senses she's operating as a facet of experience in a in domains of of possible experience now, those domains of possible experience are held in by sort of all the words and all the things philosophers can prove, etc., etc. 
until the things that a philosopher could prove absolutely, which is the the epistemologies, okay? So the the epistemologies are absolutely true. They're just simple epistemologies that speak of the reason of the unfathomability that surrounds the fathomable, which is that that the reasons or, or the or the ironies which become the enigmatic axioms of an unfathomability that extends out into and explains the material modal, modal epistemological obstacles in absurdity and unthinkability. It also grasps the epistemological impossibility problem of truth and it then fathoms the First of all, it divides its it, its life into the question and the answer. It takes the question to the epistemological anomaly, like of you can't know what's knowing. You're ever going to be the knowing. Always a fit. Have already found the thing you're looking for. If you're looking for your for the knowing. Okay, so this is one. This is the, the consciousness, right? Why the consciousness will never be found. And then the existence, right, lies at the other end of the singular imaginative enigmatic journey. And also existence just in its I amness has is already some sort of it can it can't imagine we can't imagine without the mind somehow the and the, the ability to imagine beyond the mind is the transcendental imagination and our imagination is the rational imagination we we have the ability to to explore existence okay which is all we can do with the imagination okay and we explore consciousness with the inference. So what is the question? The question, the question of them always standing on the inside. And so to the exclaimer of conscious, the exclaimer of existence is always um, intimately tied to its equanimity. Uh, so, so too is the identity sort of trying to separate itself from uh, with identity from its equanimity right to unify to an to an impossible is some sort of ideal means by which samsara has of having just as much plausible territory to explore ethically in your, uh, as you might have physically in this spatial world now. Like, so whatever needs space is, do these, these great ethical problems you have need this greater space than this, the, even the physical problems or the, the mental problems need such and such amount of space, right? They need 
the space of a full mental field of like absolutes, which is what a mind is, right? It just so happens that the absolutes are actually more real because they're prior than the the consequence of them, which which we can just say we can measure it. it it's always the past. The knowledge is always the future, and we have the present. Now, the present is this. This is how the definition of knowledge comes down into the present moment to stake its tiny territory, like the point of a, a needle in, in the equation of time, having the future and the past that you're thinking about with the mind, at all the distance of the past that you know about, and you're moving in a body, but you're still the observer of. So somehow the observer of the time and the present moment can't interface instantly. So there's a distance between you and the present moment and somehow your bodily conception or experience of the outside world binds you into some present moment that is not the present moment for you as a knower of it. It's just a tiny bit of less than a, a moment away in time or somehow via the mind it's a bit in the future of the sort of the thing you're trying to imagine with the mind is then coming to be realised, but you're just using the mind like a creative vortex, that you're, you're picturing things in in futures, okay? And they're always like some part of this future idea, okay? But there's this present which you are experiencing now, and in some sense, the things of your mind and the things of the body are being realised now, and you can't say they're cancelling each other out like as ontological reasons of what's really happening, you know what I mean? And they're just as true as the past and the future, that either of them can't actually be happening. So the, the present just becomes like, oh, well, it has to be happening. It's the only thing that could be happening. What other possible means do we have of extracting any discrimination upon it? Well, we do have this eternal and this present moment as a now and as that moment, all right, as that moment can be transferred in time as fast as possible to a a knower of it, right? So the the time it takes for the knower of the experience to experience it, right, which gets lost in that the, there's an infinite regress, and the knower just becomes this impossible part of any system it's, uh, that phenomenally can't be found, right? But even so, it's there as the prior, just like, you know, everything's held together by the knower in, in any sense of elegant dichotomies, okay? So you have, you have to accept that the impossibility of the knower even anyway. So this is what you're doing. You're, you're becoming a philosopher who just understands the opposites and just places the opposites as the obvious thing we're exploring, they just they are infinite, and yeah, they're they're true. They're all true. Like they're just all truly exactly as they say they would be. They're infinitely this way or that way. Yes, motion is this infinite stillness, because if you take it to its logical conclusion, it can't be going anywhere, since it's already moving infinitely fast, that it can't be anywhere or can't have any motion at all. Okay, so. That is an irony, 
right, of the absurd, but that is also how only how we can understand space, time, and all these other things. We have to take all the take all the ideas to their like infinite destinations, like like an unstoppable force, an immovable object, an imperturbable space, instead of any sort of sense of relativity about them. And consider every possible coordinate to be some expression of liberation um, of that life has over these modal operators which yield despair and depression, right? Anxiety and sort of great striving and enjoying uh, renunciation and um, impossibility, okay? And they cater to the vanity, the desire and the ignorance, right? The, the ignorance is like a an anchor. You never know what you don't know. So, so it's sort of later you realise what you don't know, but you've still got it there and you don't realise you're towing this anchor. It's sort of like your... It also comes in as your base grosser assumptions about reality. The more mundane your assumptions about anything are, then you know them to be somehow bound into that mode of ignorance. And so know the truth of them to be to transcend much of what you consider like right or wrong and actually deliver some pure, right, uh, perfect excellence at any point in time that's being delivered by the Lord and then we have our interpretation of it and that is just try to get our heads around the size and the scale of what is what is creation. To do that, we sort of have to get our heads around what cons- what even current creation contend with. Okay, I'm trying to explain that in the in that Maya, that is her modal means of operating. It's a sort of a, like it's a tamasic operator that you, if you can understand it. You've got one sort of foundation upon which to understand epistemologically how a barrier between a conceivable and inconceivable. Okay, first of all, we're going to take that. We have to have a dichotomy, though, to make a territory, right? So in order to build a dichotomy, or in order to give you a sense of territory, you have to understand your the great obverse to that premise, which is coming to add as a big referent, the great referent, the great thing, right? What is the opposite of the thing, right? In the sense of, okay, now, what it is is you're looking at a, like a, a sort of machinery for measuring the directness of a pre, pre, uh, premised contradiction, right? So the straight of the line that 
the more perfect or elegant the contradiction, the, the more perfectly sort of opposite one thing is from another. And, and if so, you can you can have a dichotomy or what it seems like a perfect dichotomy that, that doesn't fully incorporate the full. Um, like the perfect dichotomy of everything, okay? There's partial dichotomies. If you're moving around an epistemological set of infathomabilities, your inner fathomability, those infathomabilities will give you... Okay, so those infathomabilities will give you some sort of room to move, like... As you get closer to them, they'll they'll offer you some sort of sense of territory, and, and then, but because of the ultimate epistemological infathomability of that of it in itself, can't won't like you won't be looking at the consciousness. Like you'll be, what will you be looking at? You'll be looking with the consciousness. But how can you imagine the existence, right? Okay, so how can you imagine the existence? So whatever you're doing with the imagination, like, know that to be pursued. You're pursuing the truth because, like, there's only one way to, to look at the truth, right? So if you're... If you're understanding the, the contradiction of looking into something and you've got this idea of nothing, you could think of that as a pure and perfect contradiction, a straight line of what something that crosses a geometry more perfectly than something that's got a angular sense of, of contradiction, right? That an angular, what an angular sense of contradiction is, is something being somehow you're able to understand the contradiction of something laterally and vertically, such as that you could, like, to, and this is how to understand something quadratically in, with its four, like the four cardinality of it, right? Like, so we're understanding the triangularity of, of form, and then you've got to understand the full, the quad, the, the the squareness of it is to understand it in its cardinality of its of its fundamental half bodies, which of which the triangularity of it inhabits the lower and upper. You can get some more context of how the triangularity interacts with the quad quad reality of it in the sense of, of like its its squareness is built on its um, its fundamental metalogical sort of impossibility possibility sort of um, which is purely vertical sort of line for a philosopher because it can't be any of the, anything else other than what uh, like all things are reason to it like so it's always going to be a pure irony it never escapes being a pure irony that line okay so that line and then, really, the other lines are all the lines that that are, are 
purely ironic as the um, the amount of irony pertaining to them, okay, the quantity of irony that each line has is a, well, it's a measurement of its frivolity, right, but its frivolity is a, like it's, it's sort of part of the irony of it as well, like, so the more frivolous it is, the more, like, it, Frivolity is an obstacle for the philosopher, right? As he comes to think about nothing and he has all these questions about, you know, nothingness or nothing or impossibility, space, all these questions. Uh, frivolity appears more and more to tell him that he's not thinking of anything serious. He's not, there's no functional, personal, practical use for any of this what are you thinking of now? Like, you're thinking of impossibility, you're thinking of how nothing can be, can't be nothing, or can be no nothing, or... Right, so... It just becomes... Like, if you're trying to explain that to someone, it becomes frivolous. Like, this is a frivolous domain, right? So pure frivolity and pure simplicity come together, right? Right, so... So what the philosopher is doing then is he's explaining how to to surround all the thinkers with epistemologies and to unify those epistemologies by explaining them in half bodies and, and, and to explain a, a rational space and a contradiction between the the um, Epistemological obstacles, right, which are, which pertain to life and non-life, but in the sense of life, they pertain to our how do we imagine it, how do we meditate on it, right? And the other one is how do we do it? See this doing being knowing, right? So we we're understanding this doing as a freedom, and so we are an expression of this this being doing knowing and this. This form is the expression of the doing, and we're having this existential and this consciousness experience, which is with this form, which is activated and motivated and inspired and ambient and alive and awake and experiencing the idea of wakefulness in relation to inertia via a degree, and that degree inhabits us. A position in a freedom narrative, okay. Any the narrative of freedom and the degree by which any being feels free, then can be charted on its on a freedom, um, a freedom you know freedom narrative. So you you say what is the means by which we're free, which or the means by which we're contained, and we'll find we're contained via modality only in the grandest sense of it, not all of which is like, I mean, with some of these, the great modal realities of life are such as that you aspire to them for freedom, as freedom, and experience as freedom. And the great modal modes of nature are what you have to encounter to be created as a, an opponent, some sort of resistance 
by which you're having to like gain courage, wisdom and potency such that you could exist beyond time. So angering to beat time or how are you going to manage to exist beyond time, beyond cause and effect? Is like whatever is bound in time and cause and effect is still it's got this this externalness of it, right? Which is is sort of like the only thing I can explain this as, right? So you've got you've got some middleness and some externalness. There's great just a great sense of this is just even don't worry about the epistemologies around this. They're just actual elegant coordinates of it. But then even so, you're experiencing fields, this relativity of these great ideas, okay? And no, no, this to be that, that at any time, the most subtle parts of it, the parts that are seem most impossible, they're the most true at any, any point in time, like they're the actual foundations for it because they're the they're the conscious, okay. So purely the consciousness is the true foundation for all the truth in the world and and all the things to be proven, right? Is your your own existence, okay? It's it's just so proved it's already found, right? It's not like you can look for it, but they can't get over can't understand the idea that it's this foundness of consciousness, this foundness of existence. That its foundness is its security. It's it's already found. You can't not accuse it of being absent. Therefore, you can't find it. Okay, so you can't find it because it's already found. All right, so that's fair enough. That's just the way the ideal aspects of ourselves are contained. Not. Uh, not to say that in any direction, creatively or meditatively, you won't find something astounding. Just that you'll never be able to sort of find, not without. Anyway, I don't know what, if anyone finds that their consciousness, you know, or can find their consciousness as if somehow something you're looking for that you can see. Anyway, so there's that, there's the, then there's identity, right? Fundamental identity, and it's, it's impossibility. Yeah, it's, uh, it's purely representing, right? Although identity seems to be an illusion, okay? It's purely the mode of goodness, so all the illusions just go purely to it. And this is probably... Like, it's easy enough to understand how the truth interacts with the material world, but to see the truth standing on top of that mode of goodness as the as resplendent and then the, the material modes sort of being a reflection of that out into a 
a sort of possible confusion of some sort, like a clarity and a confusion, like the only way that something can be sort of confused with what it isn't is by being able to make some reflection, and that reflection is material modes of nature, which are just expressing these great forces like this creation and this destruction. And so what are what is destruction like? That's like, so we have this great opponent, which is like a great darkness somehow and some great non-existence that the Lord has, in which the Lord can find someone who has significant, formidable existential life qualification like and Maya has that qualification in the sense that well I mean well, like she isn't but she is so, so she isn't but is okay so if you think of it like this that, that the qualification for space is that it isn't but is too okay so so as the Lord even if the even if all the truth, the highest qualification of it is that it isn't, but it is, okay, is is its, is its qualification in the same sense that space is true, but space is true because it isn't, therefore it is, in the sense that if it was anything other than space, it, could, it wouldn't be space, so therefore it is, right? It isn't anything. So it isn't, it can't be anything, and that's the only way it can be space. That's the way it is space. So Maya isn't, but is too, in the sense that, like, we can't say there's any darkness, okay? We can't say there's, there's darkness. There isn't any darkness, yet... All our material conditionality speaks of relativity, and therefore there is darkness. There is sort of like a, a cloud or a shadow over us. We are bound in some sort of sense of our own ignorance by some force other than what's purely going to be liberating us. Like, So what is this great force of opponentry in creation? And, so, and why? Why is there... This force of nature that is dragging us into some sort of inert mass or object, pure objecthood, which doesn't seem to have any reference to any existential sense of ourself, okay, which is what we value. And so it's some sort of anti value, anti, anti reason for ethics, anti life. Okay, as in a black hole is like eating life, not life. It's eating the life. We just don't realise how the life is existing in the relativity of it and the things in nature are more fundamental than... <clears throat> well, they're offering the means by which life has some sort of position in a relativity in that that we may underestimate it, so we underestimate that. Right? We also underestimate the ideal and the logical, rational 
obstacles. We go about thinking we've like whatever it is. Usually, it's as I our idealists. Um, Well, idealists either are the Guru Pampara, right? Or Avatar. Or, or part of the Guru Pampara, like elaborating on, on Sri Avatar and his, um, his personal attributes and his pastimes and his reason for being, etc. So, okay, so what is that? Like, okay, so, what was I just talking about then? Right. Like, so you're a living entity, you're understanding yourself, like, in a field, you don't know about this mode of ignorance because it's sort of like what's stopping you from knowing about it. So that's going to be sitting in as a it's, a, it's a sort of a gross base assumption that we don't realize we're making that is part of the whole physical experience we're having, like just our physicalness. Why am I going, oh, it's physical? Yeah, okay. Because it is, right? So we have to factor that in as like some sort of the weight we're bearing. And then our liberation, like our knowledge, is some sort of means as how we're creatively manifesting more freedom over that force of inertia. Okay, and our identity is like some sort of a great greater scalar of uh, which reaches into eternity and speaks of our eternal quest to be good, to be loving, to be kind, to be courageous, to be compassionate be silent or to be renounced. Okay, to be bored, to die, I don't know. Other than that, yes, to be free, okay? So, so this is, uh, like, we are, we are bound to, like, freedom's victory. It's freedom. Freedom attains victory after victory after victory after victory after victory, right? Freedom has victory of the ideal. It has victory of the uh, the logical, you know, the rational, the physical. It has victory of over the, everything, okay? Because it has uh, well, it puts you in the rational, and it's it's it. it maintains its transcendental nature around you at all times, such as you creation and all of existence becomes some sort of a, a geometrical object, okay? And then symbology. Like, then your the symbols of religion then are expressions of uh, a field, of the field in its an expression of of the symbology that expresses the whole. 
and they do. They do express the whole in its existential, its meditative, its uh, like, its quadratic, its and its trinities, and its um, triads, and its uh, you know hexagrams and dichotomies. Half bodies, you know. Like once you once you explain it quadratically, you have eight sided geometry to deal with. So you're moving from a, a six to an eight. Once you you're trying to explain something quadratically, the quadratic epistemologies fit in perfectly as the. Uh, the cardinal meridians of a of an opposition, such as that they are they they justify the lateral and vertical territories. You know, you just have to understand how to give yourself space to think in this way by adhering to the like the sense of uh, no, 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 of equanimity and the the cautious exploration of modality, knowing knowing each uh, direction that you go, you're facing an obstacle, which is the the reason why you won't arrive where you, you want to go. Right, so you can't get to some distance away. You can't escape. Various conditions that light might not be dark, let's say, or in the sense of your mind or something can't be nothing, or etc. Right, so you are bound in a matrix of certainty that predicts your relativity in relation to oppositions that uh, manifest elegantly. In geometries that are holding you via their epistemological might into a field of knowledge that is all possible um, worlds and all possibility, like so, all possibility yet transcendentally surrounded by. Just, just looking at only explore this as a thought experiment that you're pursuing this way or that way, you pursue it appropriately in every direction you pursue the thought experiment that comes with any direction you're looking at and the, the means by which you you can't separate that direction you've taken it from the opposite direction of it and, and that the sense of the, the struggle is you trying to do that trying to do that and you to do that you require some infinite amount of force or sort of mental Imagining some sort of mental, like, so part of it is wrestling. You need some sort of wrestling going on in a, in a higher sort of sense that, to, to do this. But then that's what we're all doing anyway. We're all wrestling. And so the imagination and the rationalism is just wrestling and the, the jiva 
goes about his like worldly dramas being encapsulated via via some means or another, which is some sort of great systemology or a, sort of like a the great multi-dimensional printer that that um, generates via its like perfectly sort of ontologically disappearing categories sort of manifest form and life then experiences form which expresses degrees of freedom and life goes through progression in the sense of its coming and its going, its birth and its death, its youth and its old age, okay, its creation and destruction, okay, then whatever else life has to say about it is this great question we've got, okay, this great question we've got is that the life appears much more rel rel relative and sort of uh, implausible in relation to its opposite. Okay, and its opposite just happens to be what we experience as this existential dilemma in through our old age towards our death, most poignantly. Okay, and then time is that what sits at that point is the point of our death is when this idea time. This is how we. This is how we think quadratically. Now we've got, we put time in a quadrant with duality to explain this lateral four-cornedness of a thought diagram. Like we say, it's a, a diagram we can explain in any sort of sense of however we're trying to portray it. We're just sort of measuring the contradictions and sort of placing those lines where they belong according to their quantitative, their qualitative, their ex as they belong in narratives, we place them there and we build geometries with narratives which are bound in simplicities to be expressing some sort of sameness, right? So how do we explain all the... We try and get a simple narrative that has this, the, the most fundamental samenesses and then we grant that a further sameness by unifying them in a field of sameness. You know, like all the words in a narrative, even the oppositions of them, are all about some sort of sameness or like, oh, it's all this stuff or this God or this knowledge or this consciousness or this existence or this time or this duality or this birth or this death. You know, so it is, but it is... It is still the sense of opposition of everything that we can say and the, the necessary unifier of them. Uh, all right, being some sort of unfathomably unmoved, right, but still moving in, in, an, in a perfect equanimity, which is somehow inhabiting the middleness of, especially of form itself, of all, of, of whatever form expresses itself in opposition, in half-bodily re repelling itself from the opposite idea, 
is form, like and even in form, and in, even those ideas that are sort of existing as uh, contradictions that are eliminating each other are bound by an attraction to each other that uh, makes them fundamentally um, okay, absolutely true or absolutely false in, in various ways in relation to one or the other. Okay, so, so what that is is your like some things just have to be untrue and some things just have to be true. And although we we sort of conceptually we're just battling away trying to understand why we believe the untrue just has to be true. And that is how we think of things in a mundane way as in a transcendental way or a transcendental knowledge as opposed to a mundane knowledge is a certain sort of quality of the knowledge that we think we might get or know and our expectations about reality as to how mundane or transcendental it is. Okay, so we have, like, that is our sort of the gravity, that is the inertia in the system, like, as, as, as it comes to sort of equating our beliefs to our belief in this, this amazingness as opposed to our belief in this mundaneness. We are bound by that belief system and we don't realise how that sort of is the fundamental categoric uh, expressing something about our belief systems. And how do we overcome the mundane is by seeing that in a depression anxiety matrix of beliefs with that with a vanity playing sort of like it's subjective role you know so such as we can overcome the the vagrant nature of mind as it explores its possible potentials at with the absence of its own wisdom such as we find issue causing depression anxiety despair and vanity plays a role in that greatly as some sort of counterpoint by which we can measure how one will badly experience despair via the fucking nature or their egotistical arrogance all right so arrogance so arrogance is a measure of uh, of how how far like how how far we're willing to travel towards into an offence vector where where the things that we we take there are, are offensive to the thing we're approaching, such as we are repelled by that more forcefully, like so. As we go trying to go to a certain places, however, we just bring a fence, right? And so it's really just a fence that's surrounding the Lord. Like, and we just can only make a fence to approach the Lord by the our just what we're expecting. Like anything, we, any mundane expectation about any of it is an offense. And any of our mundane expectations about the Lord are offenses we bear as like a burden like an impossible barrier for us to know the Lord. 
for the, he would not want us to offend him and he so he protects us by keeping us at a distance away from him such as we don't like say something like like think offensively about anything or any part of anything that's even close to him like you know what I mean because if it's even just within if you're looking at it, the same frame of reference in any sense or whatever like how suspicious is that like that every moment of this even in all the worlds in this life here, you've got a frame of reference with the Lord in the picture in the, every blade of grass is in the picture with it, with the Lord. So even the blades of grass in this picture are greater than sages of the of like of the of any yuga. Do they they are directly in the divine presence of the Lord. And what part of you, a soul, a human, who looks out into the world and there in the world walks a person who says, all things, for me, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible. Oh, so, sorry. So, the Lord says, for me all things are possible, and comes in the world, and really most unbelievable experience that you could ever have is to meet someone who's some sort of relationship with you that's saying to you, nothing can hurt you. I am ultimate end of all equations such as that there is nothing in this universe that can harm you. Okay, you're totally in any sense or any contact with me made vouchsafe into eternity. I am existence itself. Who would or has any quandary with me that I am your I am the Lord of Lords God of all gods and I declare that I keep you safe you will be safe and, that, and my transcendental power has made it so and will make it so forever if it so wills it if I so will it that you humans know nothing of what I, I can really do, that you only would love to imagine it. You couldn't imagine what I could do to you, for you. You wouldn't know what to ask for me, of me. You wouldn't know what to ask of me. And so, so how are you all going to be free? How are you going to 
they're going to be free. Well, look, first of all, is to understand these three fundamental definitive geometries of life, like the rational geometries of life, that come apart in, in some sense. The doing, the knowing, and the being. And how, how the being is, is more ideal, and the doing has this objective sense of itself, like in its form, and the knowing has this ephemeral, like, approaching voidness. Now, don't forget the idealism of the existence is still ideal. It's just that the consciousness is, is reaching into the ideal and the existence is the coming out of the ideal. Okay, and then we have the doing, which is the uh, the, the manifest representation of yourself in the present moment as a form, right? Now, as we know, you're held sort of in some sort of sense of the, of this form being in some sense uh, some sort of knowledge or some sort of substance. But really, it's this irony of both, which is this form, okay, which is then some sort of perfect way holding you in a a knowledge schema that that's have, has some inside to it that, that is uh, like all these coordinates intersecting into these beautiful forms of all forms that come and go. And that attaining to this perfect elegance, which is the form of the Lord, and the Lord is the internal form. His body is like... Doing, performing leela inside the great ideas that are his love and devotion sentiments that we are only access to. Like, they take Sri Guru's pathways there that I say oh, I can't explain, but to explain where they are, yeah, I can a little bit, but can I explain them in full? No, that is qualification, isn't it? I'm explaining mentally how to understand the field how to understand some distance and separation from love as, a, as an outgoing and an ingoing, right? But the ingoing has some sort of movement to its crown, between its heart and its crown, right? And the, the outgoing has some sort of movement between its heart and its base chakra, right? And so we experience the objective reality of birth and death more as a relation between heart and base, right, and crown as well, right, with crown as well always, because crown is always as your fundamental knower premise, right? But you experience a base chakra in relation to form, and you, as you do, you, you encounter these two pre other premises, which is knowledge and the known, the known world and the knowledge that's causing it, right? We enter into this objective domain and we're bound in a duality such as that some, how this is the fundamental thing that we have to understand, this ocean of duality and this, this spiritual sky, such as that we can understand our motion through it in, in all sorts of causal dramas that are playing out. All right, so I'm running out of time. Hare Krishna. I, I may go on. Okay, thank you.